Well, if you follow any of my uh, social media accounts, you know it was a good week for the Joneses. We, uh, the long-lost son, the son who was in the Middle East and has been gone for six months, the long-lost son that we have that we said goodbye to in May, we got to see one day on the 4th of July and have not seen since. He has returned. And uh, he's, well, 99% of him returned. He left a fingertip uh, in Cutter, but that's okay. We didn't need that. And uh, the most important parts are here, and it was great. He actually got back on Saturday, but he had to do a bunch of paperwork, and so I was kind of champing at the bit, like, when do I get to go see him? And Sunday, we were, you know, texting each other. He's like, well, don't come yet. I've got to see the doctor and get okay. Then finally, by Tuesday, I was like, I'm coming. Like, you just tell your supervisor I'm coming and uh, whether you get to leave or not. And so we picked him up, and it was great. Got to see him. Took him to Chick-fil-A, you know, where he hasn't eaten in a year, and he was so happy. And then we started the trip home. Um, part of this is funny. You parents will understand this. Uh, we spent about $1,000 getting his bedroom perfect, and he did not sleep in it. Uh, but we got him because on the way from here to Wichita is Stillwater, and so we drove him through Stillwater to see his brother and his, uh, his best friends, the Halls. And it was absolutely precious. It, was, it really was the kind of thing that we raised four boys dreaming about. As Isaac comes running out of the house and just embraces Will and, and, and starts weeping into his shoulder. And then, very unexpectedly, he stands back, and he grabs Will's face, and he says, I missed you so much. And they go into the house, and they want to show each other around, you know, come see my stereo, come see my studio, blah, 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 and, and Will and Trey are running around the house with them, and there's all this joy, and I have no idea what this was in the context of, but I'm standing downstairs just kind of listening to them rustle around, and I hear Trey, who's Will's age, I hear Trey say to Isaac, Isaac, I like you a lot better when Will's around. I don't know what that was about, but it was great. <laughs> and, and the reason why it was so great is because there's something deep inside of me that resonates with that. And it should resonate with you. Uh, we've been looking through what Peter says, these, these qualities, these character qualities that we need to be developing if we want to be assured of our salvation, if we want to be uh, fruitful and effective in God's kingdom, then the things that we need to work on are these qualities of character. And we're near the end now, and he says, add to your steadfastness, that's what we talked about last week, add to your steadfastness brotherly affection. Brotherly affection. Two powerful words. Affection is a sweet word in and of itself. It's, it's friendship. Brotherly has that familial content, that covenant committedness. And when you add those two things together, you have something powerful and beautiful. And, and God is here telling us, he's telling us that when we love each other like that, we become the body of Christ. We are doing something powerful that, that molds us. When you do something like that, when you get to that level, then church is no longer a place that you go. It's no longer something that you do, but it is where you belong. It is where you feel known, and it's where you feel loved. 
and it's where you know others, and it's where you love others. And, and what Peter's telling us is that as we love other people like Christ, we become like Christ. As we love other people like God loves us, then we become like him. Remember how this whole text starts out. Not saying, Peter not, does not say, you need to become partakers of the divine nature. He makes a de- declaration. You are partakers of the divine nature. Therefore, develop these things. Bring these things out of your character. And at the very core of the divine nature, at the very core of who God is, is brotherly, sisterly, familial love. At the very core of who he is. And as we engage in that kind of love, we become like him. We can engage in that. We need it. It is vital to our character, to our person. We can do it. And as we do it, we become more like him. Please stand as we read these two texts. First from 1 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1, and then from John 15, where Jesus tells us more about this character. Hear the word of the Lord. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Now let's go to John chapter 15 and learn more about that. This is my commandment. This is Jesus on the night before he goes to the cross, leaving his final instructions to his disciples. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I've heard from my Father I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Thus far the reading of God's word. All men are like grass, and all of his glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but not God's word. God's word stands forever. Amen. You may be seated. Brianna, would you mind grabbing me a glass of water? All these antihistamines are wearing me out. All right. You want to be like God? Then you need to know what God is like. And you want to know what God is like? At the very core of his being, at the very, the very origin of the universe, there is love. That is who he is. And there's this particular kind of love. It's the kind of love that a brother has for a brother, that a sister has for a sister. At at the very core of the universe, there is father looking at son, but but the son is is completely equal with the father. It's hard for us to 
uh, get in mind. That's why I think the word brotherly love is, is more effective, actually, in describing what it's like. It's, it's brother looking at brother in true covenantal friendship. It's, it's him holding, they're holding each other's face. And there's this love flowing in between them. And they're knowing each other better and better, and they're loving each other better and better. And he made us in his image. And we sinned, and we broke that, and he renewed us. When we were born again, he renewed us in that image, and he is continually renewing us in that image so that it is what we are created to do is to love each other and to be loved by each other. This is my favorite topic. You know that. I preach on it all the time. It's not only my favorite topic it's, uh, to preach on. It's my favorite topic. Friendship. It, I don't know what it is about me. It, 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 res, it just resounds with a chord inside my soul. I don't know why. My favorite movies are all about friendship. I mean, Lord of the Rings is just 10 hours of friendship is all it is. Uh, you know, uh, my favorite television shows, Corner Gas, Parks and Rec, it's all about friendship and these people who, for some whatever reason, don't really like each other, but they do love each other and they plug along and they're committed to each other. My favorite songs, I mean, you name it. This is what it's about. I hate competitive games. I love games where you work together. It's friendship. It's, there's something in me that just resounds with it. And we, we loved it so much in this church that we made it one of our two primary goals. Our primary goals for you are simply that you would come to worship and truly worship here and that you would have friends here. I mean, my goal for you is that your best friends in the world would be in this church and that you would be moving towards that because I think that's what we were created for. Because we were created in the image not of a, a monolithic God, not of a solitary God who is high and exalted and all by himself. God has never been by himself. We are created in the image of a communal God, three in one, loving each other, making, uh, being submissive to each other, blessing each other. That's, that's what it means to, to be in God's image. We, we experience what's been going on in God's heart from all eternity when we hold each other's face and we say, I've missed you so much. That's why it strikes a chord. That's why y'all all smiled when I told you that story. Because it's right and it's holy. And since it flows out of the nature of God, it's powerful. It's powerful to make you a better person. And it's powerful. I don't know why this is. It, it, sadly, it's just true. You see the true power of things when you see them corrupted. You know, uh, electricity's great. If you really want to feel the power of electricity, you grab a wire. You're like, whoa, hey, that's powerful. Um, and, and the same thing with brotherly affection, with, with love, with acceptance, with, with family love. You see it when it's corrupted, right? If you've ever known someone who was rejected at birth and didn't get bonded to somebody soon, then you, you've seen detachment disorder. And it takes a lifetime to overcome it. And it's sad because God's given us this, this innate power of bonding. And when we don't bond, we, we, we become broken and we need healing. It's a powerful thing. It's, 
it's powerful because we, that's why we, we fear uh, abandonment so much. And that's why abandonment is so destructive. You know, Mother Teresa, who spent her life trying to allevi- alleviate suffering, uh, you know, was, spent her life in the, the ghettos of Calcutta trying to minister to the poor and bless uh, the truly destitute. And when she was asked, she said, yeah, I know a lot about suffering. And the greatest suffering is not poverty or lack of food or lack of nourishment or lack of shelter. The greatest poverty, the greatest suffering in the world is when somebody is unwanted. Abandonment. We live in fear of it. We live in fear of of loneliness. Loneliness is powerful. My, uh, what do you call them, face sakes? Doppelganger, Robin Williams, my uh, my patron saint. He, uh, you know, he's he's put it said it well. He said, "Being alone is not the worst thing in the world. The worst thing in the world is to be in a crowd that makes you feel alone, where nobody knows you, where nobody loves you. That's the worst feeling. And we we know that. We resonate with that." And, and it's our fear of those things. It's our fear of abandonment. It's our fear of loneliness. It's our fear of rejection that makes us not want to take the chance on friendship. It makes us not want, it, it just seems too dangerous to, to make ourselves vulnerable. Friendship in its very nature is vulnerable. How does Jesus describe it? He says it's, it's laying down your life for another. That's as vulnerable as it gets. And yet, he has done that. He has, <laughs> he said these just mind-bending words. I want you to really, to feel the weight of these words. I, know, I don't call you servants. I call you friends. That's, that's a life-changing sentence. If you'll let it resonate in your heart that the Lord of the universe has called us friends, and not only has he called us friends, he's experienced all the things you're afraid of to reconcile us together and to make us friends with him. What was the worst part of going to the cross? What's the only thing Jesus complained about? He didn't say, my hands hurt, right? I mean, they had nails through them. I'm sure they hurt. He didn't say, my back! Oh, my back! I mean, he had 40 lashes across his back. He was bleeding from it. He didn't complain about that. He didn't complain about his feet. I complain about my feet daily, and I have never had a nail in them. Well, one time. Okay, that's not the story. Um, It really hurt, though, when I did, and I complained about it a lot. What did he complain about? What did he cry out in despair about? abandonment. My God, why have you abandoned me? That was the deepest pain. That was what he cried out about. And he experienced it intentionally for us. When he was laying down his life for us, he experienced that. So that we can take the chances on 
friendship. Because we, so that we can do what friendship is. We have been loved. Jesus has seen us. He's seen us with our fears, with our faults, with our anxieties, with all of the, with our lust, with our greed, with our, our filthy, selfish hearts. He's seen us and he loved us like that. So that we could become like him. So that we could be his friends. I love it. I love friendship, don't you? You know why I think I like it so much? It's not selfish. It's really not. I mean, brotherly affection certainly is not selfish. It can't be. Uh, romance is selfish, right? Or eros, romantic love. You want that before you even know the person, right? It's like, I want it, I want it, I want it. You'll do, <laughs> you know? Like, that's selfish. Uh, but, but brotherly love is the opposite of selfish. It's, it's making yourself vulnerable. It's, it's sharing from the get-go. And, and we need to know how to love like family. How do we, how do we make friends? If, if, I, if it's my goal for you to have close brothers and sisters in this church so that coming to church feels like coming to a reunion of people you actually like, how, how do you do that? How do you, how do you greet each other? How, how do you make friends? It, it's fascinating, this text, isn't it? Isn't it strange to you that God, Jesus commands you to love each other? That's funny. Can you order somebody to love each other? Fall in love, I demand it. That's what he says. I command you. Okay, well, Jesus, I don't know how to do that. Well, the first thing you do is you greet each other. You run to each other. What does Isaac do? He comes out and he welcomes Will. He hugs him. He embraces him. He, he falls on his chest. And you're saying, well, that's two brothers who haven't seen each other in a while. That's not how people greet each other at church. Yes, it is. How did the Apostle Paul tell you to greet each other? With a holy kiss. He commands it. And I know what you're all saying. We don't kiss in our culture. I used to do this, actually. I used to kiss me and a guy named Brian Haybig. We were uh, same age, went through RUF, and um, we'd just known each other. He's, he's my longest-running friendship, actually. We've been friends since 1988. And for years and years and years, whenever we'd see each other, we'd hug, and we'd peck each other on the cheek. And then one time, we both turned to, at the exact same time, and we kissed right on the lips. And we never talked about that. <laughs> a word was not said. We never did it again. We, we, I brought it up like 12 years later. I was like, do you remember that time in Memphis? He goes, oh, yeah. And so we never talked about it. But that's how you greet. You, you hug. Now, does that mean we go around kissing each other? I don't mind you shaking hands, doing the bro hug, whatever. But I can tell you, you know, does it mean you have to kiss? I don't think it means you have to kiss, but I will tell you what it definitely does mean. It means you don't ignore each other. It means you don't pretend like you didn't see each other. You don't have the right to do that. That is a sin. The way you greet each other is fundamental to, to building relationship, to building friendship. Uh, it's, it's, 
It is necessary and vital because of what we already talked about. Because everybody lives with this fear of abandonment. Everybody lives with this fear of loneliness, and it's terrible when you're coming into a crowd. It's terrible. Is anyone going to like me there? Is that the crowd where I'm going to feel alone? And if we greet each other, if we embrace each other with a holy kiss or a holy handshake or whatever you do, you're communicating right off the bat. You're welcome here. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. That's, that's what we do. Jesus doesn't wait for the disciples to pick him. He picks them. I chose you. I didn't wait to see if you were trustworthy. I chose you. A friend greets and welcomes. A friend makes themselves vulnerable. A, a, a friend shares their heart. A friend lets you in. The way, John, uh, the way Tim Keller always says it, a friend always lets you in and never lets you down. A, a friend makes yourself vulnerable. Jesus says this incredible words, everything I've heard from my Father I've delivered to you. All the secrets, everything I know, I've revealed it all to you. You know my heart. You know me. I've laid down my life for you. I've made myself vulnerable for you. And that's, that's how friendship progresses. Friendship progresses as you share your heart. And it's a risk. I was making a new friend yesterday, someone I never really talked to, and we talked for about an hour and a half, and, and we made a giant stride toward friendship when we started talking about our dogs. And uh, I said, I hate my dog. And he laughed. He goes, oh, me too. Not my dog. He hates his own dog. If he knew my dog, he'd hate her. And uh, he's like, I'm so glad you said that. I hate my dog too. It's a chihuahua. She drives me crazy. And I said, you know, we, and we began to share. And we, we, we took a step toward friendship. Because in this world of dog worship that we live in, we both were open and able and made ourselves vulnerable to confess we actually hate our dogs. That's, that's taking a risk. There are people in the world, when they hear how I feel about my dog, think I should be run over. I'm like, uh -huh, I'm not saying, well, I, whatever you think, I don't care. She's a bad dog. But, you know, we, uh, we made that risk, and he accepted it, and we bound, bonded over it. That's what friends do. Friends let you in. Friends never let you down. What does Jesus say? Whatever you ask for in my name, my Father will do for you. I will be there for you. Friends are, are there for you. Friends are the ones who you call and say, I, I, I got my car stuck in the mud. Knowing that you're not dressed to play in the mud. Knowing that you're going to stop what you're doing. Even though your car is not four-wheel drive and does not have a trailer hitch. And you're going to come and do what you can do to get him out. That's what friends do. And, and that's... That's what we do for each other. A friend lays down his life for his friends. When I'm expected or needed, I will be there. You have full access to me. I, one of my favorite parables, I actually find it confusing, and that, maybe that's why I like it, but 
Uh, God compares himself, Jesus compares himself to a friend at midnight, somebody who's asleep, and that you would go and wake up for a loaf of bread. And, and what I love about that is, like, he is saying, I'm there for you. And I want us to be so close. Like, honestly, how many people do you have in your life that you would wake up at midnight? Not many. But if you do, I guarantee you're friends. Right? Like, that's the guy I would go to when I was doing college ministry. I, I compared it to the guy you, you would share underwear with, you know. Who, who's the guy, fraternity guys get that. They wake each other up at midnight all the time, so that's not a big deal. But fraternity guys, I'm like, if you haven't done laundry in two weeks and you're all out, who will you go and ask from? And they're like, Jesus wants to be that guy? Yeah, that guy. And that's what we are to each other. And there's, there's, there's a warning here. There's a, a signs of unhealth. Um because there are unhealthy people amongst us. We are all unhealthy. We are all broken. And, and most of us tend to one or the other. Either we won't let people in, and we live like closed books because we're so afraid of being abandoned, and we don't know who we are in Christ yet, and we're not confident of who we are in Christ, and so we're, we, we still live with this fear of rejection, and so we won't let anybody in. Or... We're just go through life like this, and everybody gets in, whether you're a friend or not, and we're continually being let down. We just kind of overwhelm people. We're not, we're not careful. We're not, we don't have a good sense of self, and so we're just kind of overburdening everybody with everything we have. Both of those are unhealthy, and, and if those are struggles that you have, please let me know. I'd love to help you. I want to get you into counseling, and I want you to be in a healthy place so that we can become the kind of friends who let you in and don't let you down, who are what we pretend to be. That's, that's how we make friends. But I want to go back. I want to go back to this idea of Jesus commanding love. It's fascinating to me. Can you command somebody to love someone else? Yeah, I've been doing it for 24 years. You know what it's called? It's called being brothers, being sisters. You see, maybe the cry of, of, in my house of my sons now, after 24 years of brotherhood, is to grab each other's face and to say, I've missed you. But it didn't start out that way. It did not start out there. You know what the first cries of brotherhood sounded like? It sounded like a blood-curdling scream. And then hearing this three-word sentence, Mom! Will! Room! And that meant, Mommy, Will has crawled into my room and is now tearing up my Legos. That's what brotherhood sounds like. Brotherhood sounds like fights and yelling and dad coming upstairs and saying, stop it. But he's, I don't care who started it. Stop it. But, but stop. Hug it out. I don't want to hug him. Hug it out. 
Let's have a better day tomorrow. All right. I mean, that's, that's what fatherhood and brotherhood sounds like. And, and over those years of having to share your toys and having to share your shoes and having to share your clothes, whether you want to or not, whether you were asked or not, over years of fighting and forgiving and fighting and forgiving and being made to hug when you didn't want to, over years in that furnace is forged a relationship that is strong. That's what covenant love is. That's what covenant friendship is. That's why we, if we're the last church in the world to do this, we're going to do it. It is why we take membership vows. Because I am taking a promise before God that I will love you as long as you're in this community. No matter how much I may not like you. And you are taking a vow to love each other as long as you're in this community, as long as you keep coming. It is a friendship that is protected by covenant. So that if it is hard for you to share yourself, you're able to say, here, I'm going to. I've got something that protects me. I've got a covenant. It, it, it forces us to love each other. And it forces us to become it forces us to become like the God who saved us, who loved us unto death. I, mean, I love that about the church, and I hate it that it's not taken more seriously. I don't know. I mean, if good heavens, when I wanted to leave Indian Springs Country Club, it cost me $600. Isn't that frustrating to you that it's harder to leave a country club than it is to leave a church? I mean, if you were a member of a gang in L.A. and you tried to leave, they'd at least beat you up. I mean, we should at least get to beat you up for leaving. <laughs> oh, well, that is what it is. But it's real. I want you to know we believe that this church is bought by the blood of Jesus, and it is real. And we will love you as long as you're here. And as you learn to receive that love, and for some of you it's hard to receive love, and you want to close up and you don't want to be vulnerable, and as long as you're willing to give love, and for some of you it's hard to give love, because you've been raised in an in a atmosphere that says keep what you get, as long as you're willing to learn to do those two things, I am covenantally bound to love you back. So just keep coming. I want you to be like Jesus. And the only way to be like Jesus is to love like Jesus. Please pray with me. Father, it's hard. It's hard uh, in a world that teaches us to be self-sufficient. In a world that teaches us to need nobody and to trust nobody. And in a world, frankly, Lord, where every time we trusted somebody, we got hurt. Our feelings got hurt. Our heart got hurt. It's hard in that world to trust other people. And Father, I pray that you would teach us. I pray that you would teach us that you can be trusted. Jesus, I pray that you would convince us that you are the one who bore the pain and the injury of loving people who did not love you back.
and that you're in us and you enable us to do it. This is the hard road of following you. The hard road of following you is loving people. Would you give us the grace to love each other as you've loved us? Amen.